Hello everyone, Sloan here with another fantastic episode of the Free Money Podcast. In this one, we're joined by Ben Meng, Executive Vice President of Franklin Templeton, to talk about carbon pricing. He believes that the global war against climate change will be won or lost in Asia. And that happens to be the territory that he oversees for Franklin Templeton, so he's able to give us quite a detailed update on how the fight is going. We'll also hear about how Franklin is using its heft to influence this the ways that companies are already incorporating carbon pricing into their internal processes, and the outlook for a potential cross-border carbon market emerging. That conversation starts about 17 minutes into this episode. But we've got much more to share with you, including our answers to listener questions and our signature garden tip at the end of this episode. If you'd like to ask a question in an upcoming episode, please write to us. The email is freemoneypod at gmail.com. And before I forget... This episode of the Free Money Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Cordatius, who are experienced doulas to investment offices navigating digital transformation. Cordatius focuses on your data so you can focus on alpha. For more info, visit cordatiusllc.com. I'll catch you on the other side of the disclaimer. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, Free Money Podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the disclosure pirate, and I'm here to set you straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients of Invest Vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. We're back from COVID, baby, with some Woo! of the COVID Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that, honestly, you're living for at this point. Let's be real. It, it's been too long. We, it's been too long. We apologize, dear listeners, but we're back. This is the podcast. I think I might have said this, or I said this in my dreams. We chill down and calm out. Chill down and calm out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get your brain into it. Just get your brain ready for some creativity and And pension funds. And some freaking long-term investing, right? Like, that's not an unchill exercise. That's like, you know, that's about as, like, high-octane as gardening when it comes to Long-term investing. You got to plant those seeds early, nurture them. Yeah. Speaking of long-term investing, this is I was actually going to talk about my uh, work at Stanford off the top here because it's been so long. Yeah. Yeah, are, you, then, are you doing anything there? Or like, I'm trying to put Stanford on the map. Oh, really? yeah, like you know like what I mean. Weird, yeah, it's this weird university in California. <laughs> no one's ever <laughs> see, if I can get, see if I can put Stanford on the map. Finally, for a few. Um, <laughs> so you know that I tend to make fun of the net zero portfolios in the world of institutional investment. You're familiar with that theme? It's a recurring gag I do. Uh, I, I mean, like, I you actually blacked out entirely on my head when you were saying that, but um, I do know that you you tend to make fun of things, so I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Oh no, is my <laughs> are we literally already having technical difficulties? 
You might have bought a new mic, Monk, but, you know. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Now, now one of our listeners is going to be furious. Yeah, I had one yeah. listener say, don't you dare upgrade your technology. And yeah. then this listener made fun of me for about 12 minutes in a meeting about my technology. <laughs> so I got a new microphone. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, like, she- it's a little sheepish about it. Yeah, shame is really what drives us here at the Freemans Podcast. <laughs> anyway, what, what do you like? Oh, yeah. Putting Stanford on the map. So I have been – I have five students working on different aspects of net zero portfolios for institutional investors. No oh, money. wow. Wow. Yes. Like, like, so, so the, wait, are you saying that there's actually something to talk about within that? <laughs> no joke. Yeah, like this was not a gag. This was real. We, we not take as the money. And we, this is not a bit. We take the money and we give it to students, and those students are using that money to go collect data. And Lord knows what they do with their money in college. I know what I did with my money. But anyways, um, we found out. One of my students, Thea Rosenberg, who is from Norway. Cool, cool, And cool. Uh, she's a fabulous student. She's an undergrad. Um, she found out that 73 universities in the United States of the top 100 – Oh my gosh. I just had a note that said, we can't access your video. Tell me if we're having trouble. Are we okay? Uh, your, your video is glitching a little bit, but you know. Oh my yeah, like, God. Oh my God. Uh, it's, it's just too you know, much sometimes. Yeah. The, stress, it, the anxiety yeah. that I get now. I know. I mean, you guys out in California are just so good at the internet. Uh, it's really, oh. like, I, I think your pipe might be too broad for this, uh, you know, this technology, you know? I think I just have to remind myself that the podcast platform is meant to handle those issues, even though Sloan, it has it not does. handled those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like I like one of our more recent podcasts was pretty effed up. <laughs> I want to call attention to it. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, the one where the one where I cut out entirely and it was just you yeah. talking to yourself. And I talked to myself for half an hour. That was a nice <laughs> listen. I was like, oh this, this is happening right now. Anyway, Thea found out of the top 100 endowments, 73 of those universities have made net zero commitments, but only six of them have made net zero commitments in their portfolios. Uh, oh, okay. So it's a net zero. We'll get to it by 2050, but we haven't actually done anything yet to implement that. And there's a big difference between operations and portfolios. Yep. And it, it's kind of like, well, shit, if you believe in it enough to make a net zero commitment for your operations, what is stopping you, you know, in 67 of the cases, I'm trying to find, yeah, 67 of the cases from making a net zero portfolio commitment. And so she's writing a paper right now that kind of goes into that, that topic, which will literally put Stanford on the map finally. Um, she's going to do it single-handedly, but it, it, it is fascinating yeah. to me that you could have that kind of a cognitive dissonance where on the one hand, you're like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to be a net zero university. Oh, but not our portfolio. Why would we do that? Why right? would we do that? Yeah. The thing, nah. the thing that like pays the bills and keeps us alive. Nah. Yeah. Makes, I mean, it kind of speaks to like the baloney of it all. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Like, I, I think, you know, as like a portfolio manager, right? Like the question I get all the time is like, how are you going to generate returns, right? And exactly. like, I, I'm the, it's, you know, if you decompose like returns by sector and like actually look at how the sausage gets made in the S&P and the whatever, and like spend time with it, you can get pretty comfortable. 
But right. it's amazing how powerful that conventional, the pressure to be one of the conventional thinkers is. Um, you know, like is, it is. is there is there career risk at these at these endowments that's keeping people from operationalizing the thing that the board of chancellors has already voted on for everything else? Like, what hmm. what is it that keeps them? I will really look for it. Maybe we should have uh, Thea on when. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Goes, yeah, let's yeah, have yeah. her on. The problem is she's going to get a job at Stanford Management Corporation. So oh, she's no. Probably, she's probably not going to want to talk about it or it won't be allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will tell you, Stanford is one of the six that have made a net zero portfolio commitment. So good for mm-hmm. you, Stanford. We we respect and honor that. Um, <laughs> we're trying not to make fun of the people who do net zero commitments, right? I think that was <laughs> on one of the recent podcasts I made a commitment not to make fun of them. In addition to your own personal net zero. That's right. <laughs> yeah. My own personal net zero liability. Yeah, exactly. Which but I, I do have not, news. I'm, I'm not making that, by the way. You I'm don't do it. I'm don't not committing it. to net zero. Yeah. What's your news? I've got three bits of news. You know, wow. this is the news. I don't yeah, have this news. This is the news. It's a segment. Wow. <laughs> I love it. You were like, oh, you've got some news. Fascinating. You almost sounded like you didn't realize this segment was a traditional <laughs> <part of the laughs> show. <laughs> Do it alive, baby. Do it alive. You're very good acting. Um, the Saudi PIF I was going to mention because it's been in the news a lot. The Saudi <laughs> PIF is a fairly new sovereign fund, maybe a development fund, maybe a wealth fund. Hard to tell. Um, they are doing a bunch of newsworthy stuff, which is interesting. The first thing they did is they are launching a new Saudi coffee company, which I thought was kind of an obvious thing. Human beings love coffee. Um, they are also backing a very controversial golf league. I don't know if you've seen any of the news, but there's, yeah, they're backing (laughs) golf. They're trying to build a Saudi league of golfers. And that, I think they've got like Phil Mickelson and other people. And these oh, golfers. I saw are, a bunch of people. They got suspended for it, right? From the PGA. Oh, I being, think they're actually having to leave the PGA. And the reason is, I think, related back to certain Khashoggi journalists. If, yeah, it's, 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 it's related to how Saudi Arabia is run by a totalitarian regime. That it may be. It's related to that. I, haven't, you know, I don't do all the research here. Um, it's, yeah, the vibes are just off whenever the Saudi government comes into the room for some reason. Yeah. That's crazy. But like a golf league in Saudi Arabia? I know. Like, like what? Okay, and so just, what's well, the you're at it. like there again? Oh, it's going to be a lot like... Uh, it's a lot of what's sand that traps. California? What's the California place that? Oh, Palm. It's going to look like Palm Springs. I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, I mean, deserts yeah. with, yep, um, with with golf courses, uh, and the PIF made more news for giving two billion dollars to our neighborhood friendly Jared Kushner. Oh, uh, I'm sure he deserved it. Because uh, when you look at his pitch deck, boy, does he have a well thought out investment strategy. <laughs> <laughs> it is if you want to giggle in the institutional space go read that pitch deck and think oh, to yourself man. could i go and ask for two billion dollars from an lp with this pitch deck it's unbelievable also unbelievable. You to think to yourself just like, how do i get access to this compelling investment strategy oh my ah, gosh you know yeah. what i don't know how you get access to it it's yeah there i'm sure there's pl- plenty of space available if you see that deck and you want some yeah, just hang out with anyone that you can see who has the worst vibes ever, and then mm. you'll probably get a pitch to invest in it before too long. Yeah, apparently MBS 
had to step in and actually overrule the PIF on that one. I think the PIF uh, yeah. was actually leaning towards not doing it. And then the boss said, we're doing it. Makes sense. Makes sense. New fund alert. <laughs> this one, I think I'm going to screw up the pronunciation of. Okay. The first new fund. There's two new funds. You know what? I'll start with the one that I can, I can say. Uh, Israel Citizens Fund is coming online. Israel discovered huge deposits of natural gas in the Mediterranean back in 2013. It has taken a decade of work to get the Israel Citizens Fund up and running, but it is now officially as of June 2020 when we are recording this. There's money in it, and it is functioning, and they call it the Israel Citizens Fund because it has a much better ring than Israel Fossil Fuel Exploitation Fund. Yeah, 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 yeah. The- <laughs> I mean, but that, hey, that's a proud tradition. Take your real wealth and put it in a sovereign wealth fund, right? Like That's, that's right. You know. Proud tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And give it a fun name, like Norway's Global Pension Fund. It's yeah, better. it's way, it's way better than just, Yeah, it's way better than just dividending it to your citizens and letting them buy Lambos like they do in a lot of the Gulf. Yeah, or Alaska. And in yeah. those cases, good fishing poles, because it's only about four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, another, yeah. another new fund. The, this is the one I was worried about. The Wellwitchia Sovereign Wealth Fund is alive, managed by the Bank of Namibia. It's going to diversify Namibia. Here's a trivia question for you, Sloan. What natural resource is the Wellwitchia Sovereign Wealth Fund intended to diversify for Namibia? Um, I'm going to go with uh, diversifying out of cocoa. No. Oh, what a great. You know what? It could be. That's not it, the main one. But frankly, <laughs> it's such a good guess that I, I'm going to say possibly. You know, you're not <laughs> totally wrong, but you're also not totally right. The, yeah. the correct answer was diamonds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a way better thing to diversify from. I don't think cocoa is enough is valuable enough to be like, oh, yeah, we got so much cocoa wealth coming in. Yeah, we uh, riddled with beans. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Last bit of news, which ties into our guest. The China Investment Corporation has Ooh. issued another report on getting to net zero. Mm, How about that? They've made wow. the commitment. Not only have they made the commitment, but they're really only like the top, the first five institutions in the world that I have seen actually put a report out to say, here's where, how we're going to do it. And I promised I wouldn't make fun of them. So I will just simply say it's fairly general it's more mm-hmm. principles based uh for example one of the principles in the plan is that they will talk about climate change more at meetings and that's pretty good honestly i mean that's better than not doing it yeah no i mean <laughs> it's a good step it's not it's all that specific yeah and so let's talk about climate change at meetings of people and uh, and also get to net zero. I mean, you know, it's it's crazy that they did that because we have like one of the best guests to talk about that with the inimitable Perfect. Ben Meng, uh, who is the executive vice president at Franklin Templeton in charge of their Asia business. Um, and, you know, like not only that, but of experienced hand in the public pension space. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. Uh, I'm having a technical problem. I could not turn on my camera. I don't know what happened, but at least while we're talking. <laughs> but Ben, can you see us? You see us and, and you can just, see that we're here. Yes. 
Yeah, okay. I see both of you now. And I know my colleague Lisa is online, but she's in listening mode. Uh, I'm sure she was worried that she couldn't hear me or see me, but <laughs> I show up on audio. So but that's good enough. Lisa is an audio event. <laughs> no, audio is perfect. We, yeah. we, all, we don't actually share the video, so it's just the audio <laughs> yeah. that we need. And we're um, also famous for technical difficulties, so you're making oh a gosh. lot of listeners very yes. happy right now. Yeah, we, <laughs> yes. we're notorious. Yeah. Ben, we were just introducing you, and, and we were talking um, – one of the news items we were talking about just prior to this, actually, was that um, the China Investment Corporation just very recently published their guidelines for getting mm. to net zero. Yeah. And and they're actually one of only about five or six institutional investors that I've seen actually put out a document that says how they're going to go towards that net zero commitment, not just that they're doing it. Yeah. And so um, th this is a topic we want to talk to you about, not just net zero, but carbon. Yeah. And, and that's because of your recent role at Franklin Templeton, where you're um, the executive sponsor of sustainability. So we're just pumped to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having, uh, having me. And nice to see you, uh, you know, as always, uh, and very nice to meet you, uh, uh, Salome. Uh, Likewise. Yeah. And the pandemic now, you know, it's to see people. Uh, yeah. So I heard about news. I have not saw, I have not read the report from CIC yet, but as you know, uh, a number of, uh, as a manager and as a owners globally, they're committed to net zero by certain timeline, 2050, 2060. And most of them were committed in the past uh, 12 months. And in the, next, uh, in the coming months, you will see a flurry of uh, uh, reports, detailed reports. We saw a few already from asset uh, uh, managers like us and uh, ourselves included in the list. So by July, you will mm -hmm. see our report as well. And I'll make sure to send you a copy of uh, Franklin Templeton's report for our net zero commitment. We are part of the uh, asset managers net zero initiative. So we sign up. Amazing. For yeah. And are you guys going to get sort of detailed with how you can do it, like measurement and tracing and things like that? Or are this more principles and policies at this stage? So I have to create some suspension here now. <laughs> and then maybe you can have both Anne Simpson and myself back on the show again. Otherwise, I'm spilling the beans. So the team is. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I. But I, I love the instinct to hype up your next appearance on the Free Money Podcast. That's a, that's very good guest behavior. It's good. Um, we endorse. We endorse. I, you know, I, I got to ask, though, like, you know, I mean, I, I feel like ever since my first economics class, um, you know, the professors have been standing up and saying, we need to put a price on carbon. We need to put a price on carbon. Even like, you know, Greg Mankiw, who was like the chairman of George Bush's Council of Economic Advisors, has been a big bull on carbon pricing forever. Yeah. And I wonder what's different about where we are today. Like, what sort of end state are you able to hope for now um, that might not have been apparent um, a couple of years ago? Yeah. So there is, a, of course, as we all know, there's a more sense of urgency now. Uh, you know, we committed uh, since the Paris Agreement, and in the past couple of years, we didn't make much of progress. As a matter of fact, the emission went up, which means that we have to go even more aggressive. And part of that is uh, carbon pricing. Uh, you know, speaking for economic class, if one, if we, if we can really reduce economics into one sentence, that would be the people's response to incentives. So you have to have the right incentive to change customer behavior, corporate behavior. Uh, you know, 
to 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 make the change. So carbon pricing put a price on carbon is critical. And why is that the principle make the polluter pay? You know, we we have dealt with these similar issues not on carbon but on other pollutants before. And uh, the 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 principle make the polluter pay worked. And why is not the case in carbon, right? And also, you know, the economic the economic logic for carbon pricing has been well understood for many years. Uh, and also, it is an important issue. Uh, it was uh, included in the Glasgow Pact proposals, uh, but of course, there are much more work to do. As we know, globally, around only twenty five percent of the uh, uh, global emissions are covered by some form of a carbon market globally. That's not enough. And also, some from the carbon market. I know we're going to talk about Asia and China. Uh, they they started the effort, but the price of carbon doesn't make sense at all. But at least they started. So so the you know the the first step people say is the half of the success, right? So so many kind of make the first uh, 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 step now, and uh, the discussion for cross border schemes will give another potential uh, you know uh, a push uh, to ex- uh, to really expand across market. And when currently there are no uh, or little carbon uh, market coverage, once there is a cross border scheme that will really push that, what will, will change the game. And hopefully there will be global carbon market uh, to be uh, established. And also in the United States, uh, both of you know very well, uh, a year or so ago, uh, you know, CFTC, the uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, chaired by our friend Bob Littman. By the way, he moved to uh, our neighborhood during the pandemic. He's one of the- oh, Wow, you know, oh, that's so the, cool. Yeah, no, so so you you definitely should have him. He's definitely he, he is the leading figure on this topic. He's so rad. He's yeah. so rad. And and you know in his uh, CFTC report uh, for the United States, he really mapped out. You know, and he made a very strong argument uh, that we need uh, carbon price, uh, pricing. And it is my projection: these carbon pricing will be on the agenda for COP twenty seven in Egypt, and uh, along with the removal of uh, inefficient subsidies as proposed in COP26 in Glasgow. So I'm very hopeful the direction of travel of carbon pricing is very clear. That's awesome. I I want to talk a little bit more about the international context because, yeah. Ben, many of our, our listeners, maybe they don't appreciate, you know, you, you are running large institutional investment organizations in Asia and China. Um, and so part of the the interest here is understanding how the rest of the world is rolling out some of these structures. You mentioned Asia. You yeah. know, how do you see the rollout of carbon pricing in places like China? You mentioned there's only 25% of emissions that are Global. captured yeah, under this. So just share a little bit of that international experience for us and the benefit of of all of uh, all the listeners. Absolutely. Um we know that actually our Global war against climate change will be won or lost in Asia. The reason is that some of the largest emitters, be China, India, even Japan, in a way, uh, are in Asia. So we have to focus on Asia. And uh, so carbon pricing is critical. Uh, as uh, you know, uh, my dear colleague, uh, Anne Simpson, who is also the global head of sustainability of our firm, uh, she and I, you know, we co-authored a few articles recently uh, after SEC put out the uh, proposal in making a uh, climate risk disclosure mandatory. And then I quickly published an op-ed on Financial Times to show our support. 
And then right after that, and then I also published another op-ed on product syndicate in support in support of uh, carbon pricing. The reason I brought up is that is 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 our belief uh the private market or the capital market are missing two eyes in order to become a meaningful player uh, or meaningful part of the solution of uh, uh, climate change. The two missing eye, the first eye is information. Investors need investment-grade information in climate risk so that they can develop the uh, needed risk and the return analytics based on climate risk, just like what we do is based on financial risk through financial reporting. And that first missing eye is quickly coming in place now, particularly given about two months ago, ICEC proposal, and most likely that will be followed by other uh, regulatory bodies uh, globally. So we're very hopeful and encouraged by the recent movement that the first missing piece of eye is no, it, it, going away. Basically, the gap is being filled. The investor will have the right information uh, to do the risk return analysis. But the right information is only uh, is necessary, but not sufficient. Investors also need another missing piece of eye, which is incentives. So for investors to entice them to provide private capital to be part of the solution, you have to make it uh, financially viable. Uh, if for any, we're talking about sustainable investing and sustainable business, and similar true for asset managers as well, for asset owners. If you have a strategy, you cannot generate a meaningful or desired financial return, almost by definition cannot be scalable, not sustainable. Uh, particularly if your mandate, if your fiduciary duty to generate risk-adjusted return. So that's why carbon pricing is very critical. And that goes back to your question, Asri, why in Asia carbon pricing is even more important? Because most of the uh, many large emitters are in Asia, and we need to get that right in Asia. And Part of that getting right is carbon pricing. The good news is that carbon pricing in Asia Pacific is on the rise. So the the, the employment of carbon pricing in Asia, uh, you know, including both uh, uh, emission trading systems as well as carbon tax, uh, in countries such as you know China, Japan, Singapore, and South Korea, uh, you know, they all have some kind of a carbon pricing schemes in place. And Japan, for example, both Japan and Singapore have the uh, carbon tax. And they use the tax revenue for some uh, 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 climate risk mitigation strategies or investment. And also there are other countries uh, uh, has the cap and trade uh, uh, emission trading system. And with a progressively tightening emission gaps, the ETS, the emission trading system, are likely to play a, a critical role in achieving net zero goals. And also, we know many Asian countries like China, Korea, Japan, they all committed to net zero. China has a dual uh, target. They committed to uh, the peaking of carbon emission by 2030, the net zero by 2060. And if you look at all these countries, their plan for net zero all include some form of carbon pricing and is a critical tool for countries to achieve their uh, net zero uh, 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 emission target. And that is true for companies as well, for investors, as a manager, as owners as well. So carbon pricing is really critical, missing piece now. A global as well be global because carbon uh, carbon does not respect national borders, right? No. Yeah. If it can go anywhere, so it has to be a global carbon pricing scheme. So with that, I'm also very hopeful seeing some momentum. I think the cross-border carbon pricing scheme 
will be started by the European, by the Europeans. And that will send out the ripple effects globally. So I'm very hopeful. And I know in several hours, I'm going to Europe. I've seen some regulators. I will be making the same speech. Awesome. <laughs> Across border carbon pricing, Europe, please start. Once you start, you can lead the rest of the world. I mean, that's, that's definitely happening. I mean, the last time we talked about carbon pricing in an episode, and it's awesome that we're able to talk about carbon pricing again in more detail. Um, you know, our guest there, Lars Croyer, was talking about the difference between the voluntary offset market yeah. um, and the regulatory market. And he pointed to um, like almost a six to one gap in pricing where it's six times cheaper to do the voluntary than the regulatory market. Right, right. Um, you know, as you're talking about like kind of, you know, companies starting to use carbon prices and in internal efforts and, you know, kind of the way that the private sector is adapting in the absence of regulation. Do you have a sense of how those like internal carbon targets, um, you know, might act, might relate to the existing regulatory carbon markets that are out there um, and whether, you know, w whether people are, are making enough adjustment in those corporate planning cycles? Yeah, no, at least a very good question. Actually, um, Liz is part of the challenge we face now. Um, some of the companies, uh, they have the uh, internally assumed the price of carbon, which is critical. At least it shows the awareness of some companies that they understand the price of carbon is coming. And uh, in order for them to plan the business in the long term, such as uh, CapEx plans, they want to uh, uh, consider what potentially the carbon price is going to be in the future. And then they could decide what kind of a cap CapEx project uh, 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 to uh, 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 to take on. Uh, but currently, uh, disclosing or establishing an internally assumed price of carbon and disclosing them, disclosing them now is required by uh, ICC if you have one. But ICC is not requiring you to have one. But if you have one, then you have to disclose. So this shows the uh, uh, limitation of ICC. ICC's mandate quite clear is undisclosure. But I... In, a, in addition to that, ICC cannot really make a company to be greener or cleaner. But if you have an internal uh, a price of carbon, you have to disclose it. So here's the tricky part. Uh, I have in my conversation with many companies, you know, they're worried about if they disclose because particularly in the US, there's a heightened sensitivity of a litigation risk. And the company are very worried if I disclose something but there's not really industry standard yet. Uh, there are a lot of norms have not been established yet. If I prematurely disclose something, I might subject myself to some future litigation. So that is one uh, a challenge. And that's why we don't know, we don't have a full picture of all the companies in their head. What are they assuming the price of carbon internally? We don't have a full picture because they are not required to be uh, disclosed yet, but ICC is asking for that. Uh, but so in, uh, what I find ICC, the current proposal, the rules is crafted with a lot of care and consultation with the market. It provides enough safe harbor provisions. So that should help companies to feel comfortable to disclose their internally assumed price of carbon because they are protected by the safe, uh, safe harbor uh, uh, provision. So that actually, I, I I view this as a positive momentum as well. At least people are talking about the internal assumed price of carbon and SDC is providing safe harbor provision so that you can start doing it now 
we know it's not perfect yet, you know, we are going to shield you away from potential litigation risk. So this is another positive development. Ben, you mentioned the SEC a whole bunch, and we've been tracking some of the the, the looming disclosure requirements around carbon that the SEC is putting together. <clears throat> and I'm just curious, some of the critiques of this that are coming on are that it will push companies, public companies, to move away from smaller suppliers yep. that maybe don't have a handle yet on their uh, on their carbon footprint. Um, are are you worried about that? Or you do you see it differently? Uh, I'm not worried about that uh, uh, as much because, in a way, I also mentioned the process. You know, ICC engaged a really prolonged period of consultation of these ideas and provide you know safe harbor rules. So, for larger companies, you're doing business with smaller companies, and this really only applies to uh, scope three emission, right? And scope three emission currently the proposal is written as is only for uh, material. You have to disclose them. And also for smaller companies, you know, they are exempt from it un, uh, 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 until they, their revenue become meaningful enough. So for the smaller company, actually, they are exempt. And also many of the requirements are phased in. So it's not right away. The phase okay. in over a number of years. Then for the larger companies, you do business with smaller companies. And of course, you know, scope three includes. But then again, because of the safe harbor provision, for the larger company, it's safe. Uh, if the, you do you do not have a full picture, uh, you know, of the smaller suppliers. For one, they may not be uh, material, and for two, even if they were material, but you uh, uh, made a mistake in disclosure, but with good intention, there's safe harbor rules. So I'm not worried too worried about you know the impact of the proposing rule on the smaller uh, companies. Uh, again. Um, the ICC crafted the rule with care. I mean, that's really like really well put and and kind of cute. I love I love regulations that are crafted with care. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's like it's like uh, Papa Gary Gensler is like baking us a nice pie and leaving it out on the sill to warm and like you know waft its scent throughout the uh, throughout the practitioner environment. Um, you know, even better. I hope mm. uh, Gary and ICC is listening to our podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they have some support from us. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I send them threatening emails every time they don't send, they don't listen to our podcast. So hopefully they've learned. Um, the you know, I, I I think like one of the the really interesting things in talking to you about this is like you've spent your career at these humongous organizations that are used to thinking about the intersection of mission and capital, right? You know, like Cal. Uh, Calpers, CIC, etc. You know, yep. how should we expect safe, with you yeah. in this role now? Safe, yeah. The um, the uh, with you in this role now, like, how should we expect to see Franklin Templeton using its scale to help carbon markets mature? Yep. So uh, again, you know, uh, uh, our opet on product syndicators stay very clearly. We support uh, carbon pricing, and we even more so. We we first remove. Uh, the fossil fuel subsidies so that we can level the playing field. And then you invite private capital to come in uh, to become part of the solution for uh, climate change. So our firm's uh, you know, standards are quite clear. We have acknowledged the, val uh, the vital role of carbon pricing in ensuring that incentives are aligned. Uh, and uh, we work through you know, Climate Action 100 Plus organizations uh, in, uh, and also engaging companies as well as regulators on uh, these issues. 
And also on that note, you know, uh, with Anne Simpson joining us as our global head of sustainability uh, uh, slightly over two months ago, you know, that's also to shows uh, our commitment uh, in this space and our belief uh, uh, philosophy in this space. Uh, as we all know, you know, Anne is one of the definitely one of the global lead, leading thought leaders in this space. Uh, you know, she uh, she she also you know comes from academia and a, 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 a practitioner. We call her uh, pracademic. So she's one of the few. Uh, I you, love that term. Yeah, you definitely should reach out to her. Have her get uh, back on your uh, podcast in the, in the future. She's yeah. the she's in our neck of the wood now, just like Bob Liederman. Awesome. Exactly. So we should have a group a podcast next time. Is she? Are, yeah. are you in? I mean, are you located where Franklin Templin is located? I don't want to say the specific city for. <laughs> You know, specific reasons I don't want people chasing you down, but, yes. but are you at the headquarters? Because I'm yes. just south of there. Yes, yes, I am. And, uh, you know, depending on what post-pandemic like, uh, we'll be uh, spending, uh, we, I mean, and myself as well, uh, we'll be spending a lot of time uh, in the headquarters. Uh, that's where we're oh, based. Okay. Yeah. That's so close to Stanford. I mean, I, it would be really fun to have you guys over for coffee at some point. Yeah, but. yeah. And at least you Aww. can be on record, over record at least part. I would just exchange, exchange a note with Mark Anson. Oh, yeah. There's another former Seattle Calpers. And Jinin uh, Gulilet, of course, you know. So, yeah. uh, and I was having lunch with Jinin. So, in the Bay Area, through our circle, you know, uh, we can put together almost like a salon or something on this topic. It'd be fantastic. Oh, man. I, this is giving me FOMO. I love it. We'll get you out, Slug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fear of missing out. And yeah, yeah. The strategy in terms of bringing people and investors to the table. We want to show successful strategy. You know, being sustainable uh, investor, particularly if you focus on something more quantifiable and more related, such as the climate change, other issues. Uh, you can do well and do good at the same time. And then we can create such kind of successful examples, a couple of them, and then that's what we exactly the formal moment, fear of missing out. The investors, all the good investors, they want the investment returns. And once it's, uh, it's proven there's a case out there, you know, I think uh, getting private capital to the table would not be that uh, challenging anymore. You First, we have the information. Second, have the incentive, which is the carbon price. And then you show them a few successful examples. Uh, people will come to the table. So that's an optimistic, optimistic side of me. I think we're in violent agreement on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you got you really. We we have to tackle directly the this sort of poverty of imagination that exists in the investment industry. Yeah, you know, it's like because we're just missing out on you know, role models, right? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and roadmaps. And, you know, that's that's what Ashby and I are here for. And it's pretty awesome to have, you know, co-religionists along. along uh, <laughs> that's why along we wanted our... to have you on. We wanted to, Heck, you know, we're, yeah. we're in the business of like raising up the people thinking creatively and, and that don't see this as a zero sum game and right. see it as an opportunity to manage risks exactly. and generate Generate long-term return. Yeah, this is the opportunity. It's a value creation opportunity now. So Anne and I talked the other day. We are thinking about our next uh, op-ed exactly on this topic. That we talk about. We want to talk about the third era of impact investing. The first era is really about a few people who wants to change the world. 
from uh, you know uh, philanthropies foundations and the second era is really about risk mitigation from corporate boards and investors realizing the fiscal risk transition risk immobile risk uh, uh, mitigation but now with all the momentum from regulators cop 26 all the momentum now we're approaching inflection point now we call the third era of impact investing is a value creation and the return generation mm-hmm. and that's yep. where the investor will see that opportunity and they will they will rush they will rush uh, to the table and also i like what you what you just used a moment ago imagination we need the imagination the reason is that uh it's happening so rapidly in front of us and finance people professionals were used to look at historical data analyze the data identify the pattern and to see if there's a return generation opportunities. Unfortunately, climate change, we did not collect all the data as needed. Yeah. And that's why we need imagination. We're waiting until we have enough data to act. That's not a solution. That'll be too late. It's already too late now, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why what, when you mention imagination, that's the critical word. Now is the time to use imagination and use sound logic uh, and the third, uh, and, and good professional judgment. Uh, we cannot wait until we have enough data to act. Yeah, I love it. Ben, uh, perfect. And, and look, good luck with the regulators in Europe. Hopefully you get a chance to tell that exact story. And, you know, the questioning won't be as tough as it was here on the Free Money Podcast. So, I think- <laughs> yeah, hold this feet to the fire. Instead of the public and lose before the media. Yeah. He's a parent. I'm coming with all leads. Uh, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, all take right. that energy. We love it. Uh, we'll have you back. And long distance high five to you. Thanks. Thank you so much. And Thanks, I'm sure ben. you're going to edit. So certain things you don't like, just edit out. Oh, <laughs> we love it all. But yeah, we'll clean up some of our technical give difficulties at the beginning. But aside yeah, from just, that. We'll leave just a sprinkling. Well, yeah, just yeah, so the people yeah. who love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And we're going to see you again, actually. We're we're going to see you meeting you soon. Likewise. Awesome. Likewise. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. I, I wonder if we uh, if we could do a podcast where we just had institutional investment people, you know, no talk about in, in institutional investing at all, only technical difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. I, I love his, his comment about how we go from impact, like philanthropy, to risk yeah. management, to value creation. You know, yeah. it seems obvious. Like if we have a hundred billion dollar space company called SpaceX, like somebody's going to build a hundred billion dollar, you know, carbon management. I don't know what it's going to be, but like, well, look, you just what need imagination. It, what drives me crazy is if their company, I mean, like, you know, as a portfolio manager, their companies, like the companies I invest in, like just get no love from the markets for- yeah. The, you know, the profound impact that they have in so many cases, right? Like the, you know, I think the story about ESG investing for a long time has been like, oh, is there an ESG bubble? Like, you know, a couple of tech companies were trading up like crazy and a lot of people were blaming ESG investors for that or whatever. But I think, you know, much more than that, there are a lot of instances where, um, you know, the there are companies that have profound impact, don't have the data to show that impact in a provable way yet. And like, you know, the, so as a result, they just lumber along looking like normal banks or normal recycling companies or whatever to the market until you come in and actually look at them. And it, it, I hope he's right that people start beating a path to the door of, of places that, uh, have that capability because it's in my enlightened (laughs) self-interest. I was like, Oh, I love that. I don't need to do data. 
I could just imagine. <laughs> I know well, that it's but, not binary. You got to have data to build the imagination, but yeah, yeah, and like, but and, and the thing is, like, you know, in a segment like agriculture, for instance, right? If you're looking at organic farms, like, in order to certify a, a farm as organic, you have to go through these Byzantine things, and you have to mm. be able to imagine, you know, like, like literally, the process of certifying cropland as organic might result in you dividing one field up into 70 pieces oh and treating gosh. them all like different pieces based on the last time you applied, you know, all organic stuff. So if you have to spray pesticide or something, it's insane. It's insane. Anyway, um, that was so cool. And I'm so pumped that there is actual momentum happening on this front. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? I admit, I admit, I can't believe how much carbon pricing is going on. Yeah. He, yeah. He, like, he, he like noted like, a lot of countries with like different things happening and uh it, it i do feel a little bit optimistic almost yeah it, it's really like w when when like we invited lars on it was kind of like this it was like what lars got mixed up in this all right let's see what's, going on. <laughs> what's <laughs> happening yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, you know and then he shows up and blows our mind and now ben shows up and he's like oh by the way people are actually thinking about it it's not like with when we with crypto we were almost like from a diversity standpoint, like, wow, we're excluding people in the crypto space. We need to talk to some <laughs> Yeah. Um, but in this case, we're not making any specific effort to talk to people about carbon. It's just what people what they want to talk about. Mind. Yeah. And that's we could we could have talked to we could have talked to Ben about 22 topics. Like that's true. I think we might have mentioned Ben on the pod in the past on different oh, topics. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, because of like the the various like I mean, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that, guy, that, guy, that guy used to have a hard job that's yes. all said <laughs> exactly um but let's talk about hard things what's awesome for you lately, do we is there a is, is there, there a noise is there a thumpunk? um let's see what i got let's see there uh, used to be something that went skadoosh or something skadoosh uh uh wow our platform's so good everyone this is powered by riverside fm it's yep use it it's, if your podcast isn't powered by Riverside FM, I don't know what's wrong with you. Then you uh, don't get to have the fun of doing it live. Okay. <laughs> powered anyway, by what's Riverside hard? FM. Just, <laughs> just, Ow! This, isn't this straight? Just throw that in there. Yeah, just powered um, by Riverside FM. <laughs> Riverside um, F U. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I got COVID. Yep. You know, yep. they told me the COVID was over. It's not over. I got how it. Is that, how is that for you? How many days were you out? I was testing positive for 11 days. Ugh. And I had three real sick days. So just for those listeners that are new, um, we're very big into the vaccines. We, we love the vaccines. We love were vaccines. involved in designing vaccine lotteries, which <laughs> people didn't like about us. Uh, but we were. And we took the vaccines. In fact, we got boosted. And, and then I we got we, so sick. It was so bad. Yeah. So like, I was like, oh, can't believe how sick I was. I had a fever 103. I could barely swallow. So anyways, be careful out there. But I will tell you, I'm going to have the greatest summer of my life because now <laughs> yep. I just got a letter from my doctor, which you should get, by the way, that says Ashby is recovered from COVID and is not contagious for three months. I'm just going to walk around with that letter. I'm going to like do the, uh -huh. the, the Parisian four face kisses when I meet people, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just gonna be, be, uh, breathe on me, breathe on me. It's, 
it's like the opposite of the scarlet letter uh exactly. the, 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 the golden letter i mean yeah like i had COVID too uh and boy does that reframe your life I, I i feel like it was almost like a little stress test to see like what things i needed to pay attention to mm. on every on any given day you know because like when you're sitting i mean literally you know claire and i went on vacation in puerto rico it was great we got COVID the last day and then we spent the next two weeks in a pile Oh, um, the photos are great, by the way. I saw the photos on the oh, line. They oh, might have yeah. been on the Twitter. I don't know where I, don't I saw know them. where I put them. I don't know where I, mm. I yeah, I'm the worst at social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like I, Puerto Rico is great. Everyone should go. Um, but like, you know, it, it really was uh, a nice, I think, um, time to recognize the importance of process and investment management for me because like, you know, and, and really just long-term investing, right? Like, cause that, you know, if you're running a solo shop and you have active equity exposure and then you get COVID, yeah. um, certain kinds of investment strategies are going to blow up for sure. <laughs> Hopefully not yours. I believe that we went through that magnificently. Hmm. Um, and it's it's all a, cre a credit to being punctilious about process. And yeah. Um, like, yeah, I, I am so, so, so ha happy and proud of that even though I'm still kind of catching my breath as I come up with stuff. I will also admit that the process of COVID made me want to quit 19 of my 22 jobs. Um, <laughs> I, like, why do you need things from me right now? I swear to God, I was telling Courtney like two days ago being like, I think I'm ready to just freaking be a normal human. And I think it's a lot of jobs have one job, you know, like, yeah. and, and also I just need a real vacation where I yeah. like, sit on a beach and read a book. Oh, mm. That was like the worst part because I admit, and, and I don't encourage our listeners to take this approach, but like, I just sat outside and worked. Like I, yeah. worked, I worked through COVID like, Oh no, it was oh, so yeah. annoying. And, uh, <sighs> Uh, anyway, that, yeah, that is what it is. COVID. Yeah, um, I, 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 I think we're both better. Like I would say, I'm ninety nine percent. I have an occasional yeah. little cough, but I'm okay. I, I'd say I'm I'm back up to like you know just my normal level of miserable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I like, but yeah, it's I, vacation. I cannot say enough positive things about. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we should have like a free money conference where um, instead of having actual content, we just make everybody sit on a beach. Uh, oh, it's like a distributed conference uh, Holy, I think you might have just invented something or reinvented the boondoggle <laughs> right oh my god it's the annual boondoggle yeah like literally we pretend because we're kind of real and we do conferences in other parts of our lives <laughs> we help people pretend that this is that conference yep 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 but, it but really it's actually just a boondoggle it's we just sit on the beach in Puerto Rico and vibe. I, if anybody I, wants to sponsor this event hosted by the Free Money Podcast in Belize, I don't oh, know where. I, I like Belize. I like. I mean, hey, like I, you know, I mean, as honestly, I told can, you, that's where I want to buy my island in Belize. Really, I did not know that. Oh, when Free Money Podcast takes its back uh, public, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, that's. That's where you go. You buy you buy an island in Belize. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I believe it's time for yet another segment right now. Oh, I the love segment that noise. 
this segment with the sound effects. Why do you, I mean, why do you love that noise? It's because it's your time to sound off, right? Obviously. Yeah. Answer I mean, your questions and allow mm-hmm. Sloan to tell you to do something. Yep. Which is subscribe to the damn podcast and or, <laughs> and or if you've already subscribed to the podcast, leave us a nice little review, a little review ski. Um, five stars. That's all. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. It literally is free for you to give us five stars. Those stars yeah. don't cost. So not a they dollar don't cost. a star. And and it makes us look so good. Like, you know, it, my like my my dead mother, God rest her soul, oh. sits up there in heaven. And, she, and every time you give her a view, she smiles down on literally. You yeah. You yeah. are committed to this podcast, Lon. I yeah. when you start invoking the dead mother. To, I mean, to get a five-star review, I'm just so in awe of your commitment yeah, to our well, shared well, experience here. Well, she's kind of a stage mom, you know, so. <laughs> uh, oh, but the, wow. fir- the first question. All right, what do we got? This is very direct, and I love it. Oh, yeah, and by the way, if you want to ask a question, you totally can. Uh, we're sl- I'm slow at responding to emails sometimes, but we do respond. And uh, it, the email to do it is freemoneypod at gmail.com and or uh you know just reach out to either of us if you have our contact info but if you don't freemoneypod at gmail.com um first question is is being a socialist incompatible with accruing personal wealth i think it is i think it interesting. is because, interesting because socialism is defined as um production distribution and exchange owned or regulated by the community, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So we're producing things, we're distributing those things, we're exchanging those things, and the ownership of all that or regulation of all that is done by the community or owned by the community. And so it's really just that or regulated that mm. opens the door for private property and and kind of helps to explain why you have um, my favorite kind of socialism, which is champagne socialism. Uh, the champagne socialist is is why you see quite a lot of wealthy people um, wanting to see that production, distribution, and exchange kind of being regulated, not owned, regulated yeah. by the community. And, and I think that those that is an alignment. Mm. I think much more strict versions of socialism. Um, and there's been many throughout the years would want to see the means of production, distribution, exchange owned with, where the property rights are actually owned by uh, mm-hmm. the community. And in, in that case, um, you know, you're moving towards communism, mm-hmm. uh, communityism uh, rather than socialism. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that that it's a it's a spectrum but i would say you could be wealthy and be a socialist you'd just be paying very high taxes and you would be subjecting um yourself to regulation yeah yeah and and i think as a practical matter sorry I think siri's pra- talking to me that, sorry <laughs> siri, siri was like what is regulation <laughs> i was like jesus Apple's like, are you talking about regulation? No, 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 exactly. no. Uh, Our terms of service are longer than the Constitution. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I think that in, you know, as a practical matter for the individual that's asking this, you know, like, I think it's important to realize that, like, socialism is an identity, but it's also a journey, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a degree of activism 
and building things that needs to happen in order for socialism, you know, as you know, we collectively imagine it to become a reality. Um, and, you know, in order to do that, we have to do some nitty gritty stuff that involves building power um, and amassing personal wealth is for better or worse, a good way to do that. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, is there, you, you, I think you could certainly use wealth to socialist ends, especially by doing things like you talked about, like pushing for regulations that are thoughtful um, and for well-governed, publicly-minded institutions. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely like a higher moral standard than you're going to get from, you know, just regular uh, money thinking. This next one is a really, I, I, I feel like uh, this is kind of like a, the Ash, an Ashby crack question in a way. It's amazing. Um, Biotech and life sciences companies oh, are selling right. off significantly. Mm -hmm. um, like, for instance, this is a great I, I love I love it when readers send examples. More than 20 percent of the Nasdaq biotech index is trading at a discount to the cash on their balance sheet. Um, Whoa. And these, yeah. And these are companies that are like doing our drug research and development. Yeah. Um, and the, the reader says a penny for your thoughts. What does this say about the way we fund innovation? So to me, look, I, I think the problem for me is we're, we're talking about public stocks. And yeah. I think over the last 30 months, once COVID hit, uh, maybe that wasn't 30 months ago, whatever it is, 24 months. <laughs> yeah. Ever since 2012. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just don't understand how it works anymore. Right. So, so, so the, and by that, I mean the economy, because it's all a function of the Fed. And so it says to me that stock prices uh, under COVID, because the Fed was buying all these risky assets and literally printing money and buying up stuff, you know, companies started to believe their their value was much higher than it was. And so then they started doing wacky things with that money. And then all of a sudden we're we're in a different world where the Fed says there's inflation and now we're 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 panicking. And these, you know, it's not just biotech, it's the entire technology industry has sold off incredibly i mean go look at some of these fintech companies it's oh my wild. gosh yeah it's wild a firm yeah. or upstart or robin hood i mean robin hood i guess i don't mind seeing getting hit you know it's like some of these things you know you're just like yeah that felt crazy before um and and so now it's back crazy the other way and i think that's probably what's happening in biotech you know uh, probably a lot more about the space than i do sloan given that you're spending a lot of time kind of looking in the vegan world, but it's like, for me, I just see this as the pendulum swinging around the Fed. I, I still yeah. don't understand. So I wouldn't tie it to how should we fund innovation? I wish it was that simple because that's how we used to think about companies and stocks. Like, wow, how do we fund innovation? What's their R&D budget? But now yeah, it's yeah. like, what's the Fed doing? Well, I would say these stocks selling off is great. Uh, it for people with cash. Well, well, A, for people with cash, but B, for the way we fund innovation, right? Like, so what Ooh, has happened? Fun. Well, like, you know, like it, this is this is like my contrarian, like galaxy brain take on this. But yeah. Like, um, what, what does it actually mean that we have all of these companies trading at this discount to cash, right? It means that we have a system where um, people can stand up entities. Oh, no. Uh, the uh, people can stand up entities. Ah! Uh-oh. Okay. I still see you and hear you. Okay, good. Um, my uh, 
<laughs> you are fuzzy now, though. Your phone. I have my 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 work phone started ringing uh, off the hook. Oh, I, that I, will that I, will I, screw I, up our entire setup. Like a total boomer, I actually installed yeah. a physical desk phone that I don't know how to work. Um, but it's anyway, like when I, somebody would call the fax machine and it would cut out your internet. <laughs> You know, because yep, yep. that way you had just one line. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it was, exa- but but so like I mean, so, so why is this? Why is this good? What kind of a lunatic thinks this is good? Well, like we made the companies, we stood them up. They're doing R and D. They have cash on their balance sheet. The market can see that. We can see that. Yeah, and we track them as a sector. That's freaking great, right? That is like, cool. The, the purpose of the public market is not to have stocks go up in a line forever. It's to create entities and allow them to exist in a context where they have continuous access to capital at a cost. Yeah. Right. What the market is saying is that it's more expensive to put capital into these companies. It's more expensive for these companies to raise capital now than it was before. But it's beautiful that we have enough of the, that, that it's a place where we can be like, all right, we, you know, let's start, you know, Sloan and Ashby Biotech LLC uh, to fund, <laughs> fund yeah. research and development into our line of. Of portable energy beverages, you know, um, I love it's it. a beautiful thing. It's a first beautiful of thing. all, your answer was so much better than mine. I'm almost jealous. I don't that know. Was I mean, like, very good. I feel like it was a group project. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved your answer. I, you know, because it t- it touches the part of me that really hopes sincerely that the market is still an incentive machine. Like, mm-hmm. oh. Like we're going to send the right signals around to the different actors and we're going to get them working on the most constructive projects for all of us because we're going to pay them for those projects and on and on and on the incentive machine goes. And I want to believe, Sloan, that that market still functions. It just yeah. feels like it stopped for a while with well, the Fed I, buying everything. I think biotech is a particularly fraught sector for understanding what the heck is going on because mm. so much, so much of the... Um, the, the catalysts in that sector are binary, like, you know, clinical trial outcomes and stuff like that. Yeah. And so like, I I actually don't remember a time when people have argued that the biotech market has made sense. I think it's like, you know, incredibly rife with inefficiency and opportunity to exploit, um, you know, good research. I actually also love the fact that almost all of it uses animal testing. And as an investor, I'm not allowed to invest in (laughs) 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 anything. It saves so much time. Uh, like otherwise, you'd have to do. I mean, I, I I just like invest in a company that rents lab space to those companies. So um, that I you know, love that. that. I invest in a lot of little companies myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I mentioned that to you. I love having a tight niche, which I have because all this stuff comes in at you, and you're like, sorry, that's not on thesis. I just you know, then you don't I have to can't. be a dick. You're like, you don't have to be a dick. Yeah, yeah. like I just it's don't a- do helicopter cars like that's just not what i do <laughs> um i mean yeah, you, I, I, although like if you could get your own helicopter car i mean maybe i want one uh, man this is, i just can't invest is, in it i'll buy one yeah for sure um here's a pretty good one okay uh, here we go i like i i you know i'm really really curious to hear it says who plays you in the free money movie oh i forgot you were had that one on there um first of all let's just get honest with each other in the free money movie, that's a movie about us committing like a massive fraud or crime or something. Because I can't <laughs> imagine why they would make a movie about us. You know what I mean? It's like it all started here. <laughs> they, you know, they created the world's biggest Ponzi scheme on self-gardening. You know, it started with carbon credits for their own garden. 
But it did ended. It, did you call it a Podzi scheme? Like a podcast Ponzi scheme? A Podzi scheme? It's a Podzi <laughs> scheme because it's pods. It's seeds and pods for your garden. Anyway. Oh um, I didn't have like a... I, I didn't want to say anybody... You know, part of me is like Jesse Eisenberg, you know? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good... I mean, He's the yeah. guy for, who played Zuckerberg. I think he did. He yep. plays all these people who are like kind of nerdy trying to solve problems, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, either that or Jason Momoa, in my case. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Aquaman. Yep. Aquaman. Uh, I just need a couple of tattoos and a six pack and yep. muscles. Yep. I mean, I, my only requirement, I want someone who's actually worse looking than me. Um, you that's know, what I was me- going, I would, that's why I picked Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I'm better looking than him. But if people yeah. in the background are like, actually, don't even tell me. Don't write in. Yeah, like when I when I watch the like the WeWork, uh, you know, thing, it's like Jared Leto is actually much worse looking and much less charismatic than Adam Newman. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it's and true. like I think that that's an important thing. Um, you know, so I will refrain from giving names because I don't want to share my. <laughs> <laughs> my list of people who are worse looking than I am, um, you know, but I would hope that it would be a trans person who would play me. Yeah. You know, or That's at least a good request. Like, yeah. Or at least a cis person who commits to transitioning for the purpose of the role. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, what is that called? That type of acting method acting. It's, it's also called forced feminization uh, in the community, oh. but, uh, <laughs> uh, but method acting. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but Okay, so it's this is the part of the of the show that everyone is really listening for, um, which is you know the gardening segment. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Thank you. I know. I know. We yeah. know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you guys can quiet down now. It's a little much. A little bit more. A little much. A little bit more. <laughs> hey, I have a, I have a I got a dear Ashby and Sloan question. Oh, really? Yes. And I've been saving it because it's garden related. And oh, um, it came to okay. me in my Slack channel. Wow. So that means wow. I, I knew who it was. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, it, it, it was an employee of mine who is an avid listener of mm. the pod. And she mm. is, is fabulous and she's a gardener. I won't say names because I don't feel like we call people up by name, you know, in case people are like, that's a bad question. And then they get, you know, targeted. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. We want we to don't protect want to... people here. Yeah, we don't want Ephanon coming for, uh, you know, coming for people yeah. at attribution. Like, That's we are cool. poking big bears with sharp sticks out there. So we're trying to protect you. Um, she asks, I put a bird feeder in, but the birds aren't coming. Any tips on how mm-hmm. I can get birds to come to my little bird bath? Oh, Do you have any so tips? I have one. But I thought I, I would start. <laughs> all of my tips at the moment are related to getting the birds the heck away from my garden. <laughs> They've been eating all my strawberries. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I guess plant strawberries because then they'll come and eat all of them. Um, you know, if you have uh, like a lot of people actually plant bushes and stuff that has edible berries for wildlife specifically. Um, and, you know, I think like, you know, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I've never approached this. With that kind of an objective of mind, only the uh, you're trying to get birds out of your yard, which I know because I t- I also tie little ribbons around my yard to get rid of these damn birds from my blueberries, which are I mean I love right I, lo- 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you love a good berry and I mean, I would share them with the birds, but there just aren't enough right now. Um, and I want my strawberry plants to establish. Exactly. It's not too much <clears throat> to ask. Well, my tip for you out there, Barbara, who asked the question, sorry, I wouldn't say your last name is, um, to make sure that your bird bath is not, um, at a level that cats or any other creatures oh, access it. Cause very smart. Don't want to be kicking it in the tub mm. and have a squirrel or cat or coyote be able to get access. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and I saw my, my in-laws do this. They prime it, you know, they'll, they'll put like bird feeders near it, yeah. you know? So it becomes a little ecosystem of like bird activity, take, eat some food, take a bath, you know? That's a really good, you know, and, and I, another thing I've seen is people putting solar fountains in their bird baths oh, so that the, um, fun. because a lot of, uh, animals have very, uh, strong reactions to stagnant, stagnant water. Um, oh, like I've noticed it can't this, be stagnant water. That's a great yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you have like, you can get like a little $30 thing that'll charge from the sun and just kind of keep the water moving. We did this actually with our cat water, uh, also, oh. and they like, we put a little aquarium bubbler in, in uh, our cat's water fountain and they freaking love it. That's uh, awesome. So yeah, I would recommend that. Yeah. Now that I think of it, my mom's like bird bath, which is just filled with birds. It is actually a fountain, mm -hmm. you know, this just mm -hmm. happens to have like a big, big bucket of, of water there. Anyway, that and was a, that's our, and, that's, and that's baller. Fountains are baller. So. Fountains are baller. And they take, <laughs> they take away the sound of your neighbors, you know, or whatever's going on. Although can we just, all agree as part of the gardening section that people who use blowers for leaves should oh. spend time in prison. Yeah. Well, not, not just because like of the carbon footprint of those things. I mean, for heaven's sake, um, you know, the two-stroke motors. Yeah. They, I mean, they, I think they finally made the, the, um, the two-stroke motors illegal in California. Um, I feel like I'm still hearing the blowers. <laughs> I live in California, and I hear, oh, it's like Saturday morning. You're like, are you kidding me? Please, yeah. Louise. Yeah. I'd say, are you kidding me? Blowing that off? You got to compost that. No, you got to compost. Oh, we are composting now in my family. So I told you, yeah, we're just That's not, right. Yep. It's working great. That's working so good. great. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I got some tips. I got three quick tips was what ooh, I planned here. Ooh, First ooh. tip, which is going to sound a bit extreme but I have a reason for it. Don't plant citrus trees. It's my tip. <laughs> it's like, okay, we what? Gotta, we gotta, what's who hurt, who what? hurt you, Ashby? <laughs> what? What? My citrus trees hurt me, literally and figuratively. The literal is, they have the biggest, sharpest, pokiest trees. I just thought of that when you said, who hurt you? They are so pokey. And the second thing is, they grow slower than a human. Yeah. They grow slower yeah. than a human. My kids have grown more up than my mm -hmm. citrus trees have. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so just note that. Okay. <laughs> and so I literally ripped out one of my six orange trees because it was in a perfect watering spot, planted an oak tree. Good job. An Good oak. Job. Yeah. Yeah. Got to upgrade the team. Yep. So that's my, and, and I just planted an oak tree and I'm so fucking pumped is the second thing I wrote down. <laughs> I am so excited. My friend Diane Schrader gave me an oak tree she grew from an acorn. Yes. Oh, and then I have planted that tree, and it is going. And I'm excited to come back in 50 years when it's, you know, 40 feet tall. 
That's so cute. And then, uh, and then this is for us. We just did a huge mulch mulch session. Um, we actually it. ordered a pallet of mulch, and it shows up. The truck shows up, drops the pallet down. We had twenty bags of mulch, and we just wow. mulched it up. And it's so amazing after you mulch a garden, and it's like all of all the plants are just popping. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm- I mean, on a, disrespect mulch at your peril, uh, beloved oh, listener. Yeah. It, it, it is like I, I, I cannot speak. You know, I mean, because I, you know, long like long time listeners know, I garden on my roof, which is mm-hmm. incredibly exposed to sun, and mulch does such a great job keeping the water down there. Um, you know, I would say, you know, my tip uh, for right now is like is you know another process tip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I. This year, we've been really experimenting with instead of buying plants, um, you know, which can like it's really actually quite hard to buy plants from a greenhouse that uses sustainable practices. Yeah, um, I don't recommend looking into it if uh, unless you are ready to do a lot of diligence. Um, the easy way around it is get some seeds. Right. So we went to Fedco, which is a fantastic longtime seed supplier. Me. And what had what doing the seed approach growing from seed does versus buying live plants is you can kind of just say, oh, well, that didn't work. We'll put new stuff down. Oh, well, that didn't work. We'll put new stuff down all day long, right? Um, the, the cost equation of plants is insane where you buy one plant and it's like $15. You can buy a hundred seeds for that same price. And um, you, you get a, a great window into the seeds early germination. Yeah. Um, you get an opportunity. And, and at the end of the day, you get a stronger plant because all of that transport and moving around hurts those guys funny um yeah you know so like the you know and you can get much much more uh kind of species diversity this way because like uh, you know there are i mean you know for stuff like you know say a cleome flower right you you might even you might not even be able to get a cleome at your local uh greenhouse but if you go on fedco you'll find a hundred different kinds that's amazing (laughs) you know and yeah. so, like the, I, I really, really recommend that. It's a great way to discover what works for your space because you can say, I, you know, like I don't know if I can grow cosmos. I don't know if I can grow. Right. Try it out. Yeah, try it out. Let it, you know, see what happens. And you know, the it that's how you really grow in, in the practice of gardening, right? It might not necessarily give you a near term outcome that is as pulled together as as you would if you just you know spent a bunch of money on at the garden center. But it will definitely give you a lot more stuff to check in on in the early stages. And that's really fun. And if you're gardening on your roof and you want your, your – because we've had a conversation about seed starting. and it's, we, yeah. Maybe it was a listener question at some point. Yeah, was, but, what's your seed starting setup? Yeah. Uh, it's actually like you'll do it in your kitchen or you'll do it in your living room. or something. It's like if you were apartment gardening, uh, it's actually really fun and engaging to start from seeds. And um, – I admit that like I have replanted tomato seeds from tomatoes I found delicious that I bought oh, that's at the what store. You do. That's what and you do. They grew. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's like seed saving. One of the big things I'm in the middle of this book right now called Waste and Want, which is yeah. like a big reimagining. It, it's basically a, it's a cultural history of trash and how we relate to disposability. As um, but like the, you know, for centuries, gardening was about saving the seeds of stuff you liked and planting it. Huh. It's only with the rise of, of the recent, like, you know, kind of agricultural industry that we're thinking about seeds as like, oh, I want to get this F1 hybrid. I want to get this. I want to get that. Like, it's really an intuitive process where you go, I like this. I want to keep it around. Let me harvest the seeds. Um, you know, and the closer you can get to that, the better. Oh, that is so fun to hear. It's like empowering, you know? 
you find something yeah. you really like, save a seed or grab, you know, grab whatever it's growing and uh, see if you can plant it. My grandmother is an absolute queen and she is growing a lemon tree that she grew from a, a grocery store seed in her Upper West Side apartment. That's um, amazing. You know, like that goes it, against yeah. my my recommendation, though. Yeah, it does. I, I, <laughs> I will I will I will I will speak with her about that. Uh <laughs> We she, hate, uh, but if you are gonna grow something from a seed and keep it for a lifetime, that's probably pretty good. Yeah, and, and in an apart in an apartment, it's yeah. kind of sweet that it doesn't grow that fast. And yeah, by the way, lemon trees in like apartments are uh, very cute. I've seen them. I have a friend that on Zoom has a lemon tree. That's a real lemon tree, and uh, it doesn't. It it stays the. It's like a bonsai tree. Like it doesn't move mm -hmm. in terms of the size. These things don't. Grow. Yeah, it, they're pretending yeah. to grow. Yeah. All right. Well, do we have Do we have anything else to talk about? I don't know. Oh I think I'm, oh, uh, rest uh, in peace. I got one final. Rest in peace, Tommy the Tomato. Five mm. years. Oh my God! Your your plant died. Yes, finally, uh, Tommy the Tomato uh, plant. Five uh, years of tomatoes. Remember, these are supposed to be annuals, yeah. listeners. Mm. We had one annual last for five years. We thought I was going to live forever. Did you plant the seeds <clears throat> from from it? We have multiple times, yeah. So there's so so, you, so you've got some tiny Tims floating. True, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just in a different spot in the garden. And I should mm. show you a picture. I've now screwed up again and let my mint go crazy. It's insane. That's what I I love that. I, I just have a whole. I have a, I have a bed. I have a whole bed dedicated to crazy man. Uh, I mean, let do it at once. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it's like coming out through the sides. You oh know. yeah, that's great. Oh, you know what? Okay, wait. This is uh, this is the last thing. The last thing. So I have the craziest plant that is popping up left and right in my garden this year. Tomatillos. Um, oh. I grew are they them last year? Is that what it is? Like uh, yeah, they're actually they're, it's a berry technically. Okay. Uh, but like we grew them last year, they did great, and then we weren't going to grow them again this year because we we wanted to grow more flowers. <laughs> But these tomatillo seeds have just made it into our compost and are yeah. popping up. I think we have four tomatillo plants oh that we did. God. And they're, you know, I mean, like, what a gift, you know, yeah. that we, which, you know, is a way of saying a weed is only a weed if you decide it is. It can also be, you know, like True. kind of a, a fun part of the experience. Like, I want to go grab a big handful of mint and just like drop it in the lemonade now. Like whatever you're doing, oh. like whatever you're doing, you're like, oh, I got more mint than I know what to do with. Like, let's it's so great. It it, yeah. I mean, like that's what wealth really is to me. Yeah. Um, you know, is like when you have that level of, you know, access to just little luxuries that you want. Exactly. And on that note. All right. Bye. Yeah, bye. Eh. The unspoken contest to say bye in the weirdest way. <laughs> <laughs>